wanted to start off tonight uh, with asking a question, something to get your mind thinking. You guys ever have an issue or, or a problem that it felt, it felt so, like, like it was so deep and complicated, like this problem or this issue, so deep and complicated, but in the end you realize that it wasn't that complicated after all. Like after, after you look back, like you called IT, my computer's not working, I don't know, I got a virus. Is it plugged in? Oh, you know, like something like that. Um, you know, there, there was a time uh, back in the day when I was like in high school, uh, my family, we used, to have, we used to have barbecues, you know, like it was just every weekend, there was just, we didn't need a reason. We just got together, got the asada, and started cooking up the beans and the rice, you know, and, and, and call it a day, get some tortillas, and we're good. And so there was this one weekend where it was just like every other weekend. We got the meat, got the chicken, fired up the grill. My aunt is in the kitchen making, up some, making some beans, making some rice, and the beans are looking good because you got to have beans. Uh, and then uh, and she's like stirring up the rice, and she's like, man, this isn't looking right. Like, there's, some, there's something wrong. There's something going wrong. You know, 20 minutes later, she goes back to check on the rice, you know, and, and uh, she's just like, man, this, this, this rice is not cooking. And, and so she puts the lid back on, and then she goes back 20 minutes later. She's like, the beans are looking good. The rice, I don't know what's wrong with the rice. Like, I made it the same way I always make it. Like, I followed the same recipe. Like, the recipe was handed down from generation to generation. Like, I don't understand what's going wrong with this rice. Like, it, it doesn't look right. And so after about two hours of this, my aunt is just like, what is happening? So she, she stands back and she's like, oh, I forgot to turn on the flame. And so this whole time, like, the rice was in the, the, the pan and the pot, but the fire wasn't even on. She was trying to figure out, like, what did I do wrong with the recipe and all that stuff? But it was, the, the solution was really simple. It was really simple. Just turn on the flame. There was another time, uh, some of you may, be, may have heard me talk about this, but there was a point in my walk where um, my skin started to get, like, itchy out of nowhere. Like, my skin just, one day I was fine, the next day my skin was just bothering me. Like, it was the kind of thing where, like, if I was leaning on this, like, this part of my, like, it would just be like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? And so um, it, I started to, like, get freaked out, you know, because I was a believer at this time. I, I had just gotten saved, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, is, is there something wrong? Like, is there something wrong with my walk? So, you know, I used to go to this home group, and, you know, they were praying for me. God, so they were anointing me with oil and, and praying or laying hands on me and stuff like that, praying for healing. And then nothing, th that wasn't working. And so I was like, oh, wait, I've been kind of late on my tides. Like, I, you know, I, I still have a bunch, like, in my drawer that I haven't taken to the church. So I was like, okay, you know what? Taking all that, throwing some extra on top of it, and I'm, I'm taking that to the church. Okay, maybe that's what it is. Maybe the Lord was punishing me, you know, just, like, disciplining me because I was late with my tithes. And so I started tithing on time, and nothing changed. Just like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? I don't understand this. Got to a point where I just started taking, like, allergy medications, just, like, over-the-counter stuff. And, and that, would, that, would, that would help a little bit. But, but there was, like... What's the problem? Like, what's going on? And so, get married. A few, few months into the marriage, my wife, she starts buying laundry detergent that doesn't have any fragrance in it. And so then I put on the clothes that are clean, washed with that detergent, and there's no itchiness. And I was like, oh, it's because the fragrance, like there's, there's something in the detergent that is making, that is irritating my skin. And so that's why all of this itchiness. So like, the problem seemed so complicated. I was just like, is it my tides? Like, I'm not giving enough, but that wasn't it. So, so are these, there, there are these problems. There are these problems that we are faced with sometimes. And we are so, like, 
sure that the problem is so complicated, like we're certain the problem is complicated, therefore the solution must be complicated as well. When we start thinking that way, we get stuck in this cycle. Like we're stuck in this cycle of, of just like, what's wrong? What's the problem? We're stuck in the problem. I can't figure it out. But if we would just take a step back, if we just take a step back, you know, we could see that the problem isn't that complicated and the solution is really quite simple. Um, just, just turn the burner on or change your laundry detergent. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll figure it out. And so with all that said, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, we're going to be looking at the verses that we've been looking at over the past few weeks. Uh, but, I mean, if you haven't been here, uh, if this is your first time or you haven't been here for the past few weeks, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we're in the, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're looking at Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And um, so we're going to be looking at that. We're going to, be do something a little, we're going, to, we're going to do something a little different for, for zeal for a Friday night. We're going to be doing something a little different. But before we get to that, that thing, I just really sense that the Lord that he wanted us to look at these verses more broadly, these verses in Matthew chapter 4, and also look at a verse that we didn't really look at last week when we were there. So we're going we're gonna to look at this section of verses as a whole and spend some time looking at how these temptations could manifest in our lives. Uh, so let's open up our Bibles, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And if you're taking notes... Uh, the title of tonight's message is The Way Out. So let's read Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11, as we prepare to look broadly at this portion of Scripture. So verse 1. Then Jesus, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, uh, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve only him. And then the devil left him and immediately angels came and began to serve him. So one thing that we didn't discuss over the past few weeks uh, looking at these verses was verse 11, verse 11 specifically, where the devil left him, the devil left Jesus, and immediately the angels came and began to serve him. And so we'll look at the, the devil portion later, but the angels, they came and they served Jesus. After 40 days and nights of fasting and after resisting the temptations of the devil, the angels came and they served Jesus. And the Greek word that is translated to the word serve includes in the meaning uh, to supply the necessities of life, to supply the necessities of life. So no doubt they came, they brought Jesus food. You know, they, they brought him something to drink. You know, maybe, maybe they brought him some unleavened bread, uh, maybe some manna. Maybe they brought him some orange chicken from Panda Express. Who knows, you know, because like, I mean, if I was God and I had all power and I could get myself anything if I was hungry, dude, orange chicken for the win. Like, you can't really beat that. It's delicious. Authentic Chinese right there. I love it. 
I love it. Some of you guys have heard my experience with an authentic Chinese restaurant. It was trash. It was trash. Give me the fake stuff. I don't, I don't want that authentic stuff. <laughs> but they came to serve their Lord. And as they were serving their Lord, I can't help but wonder, like, what were they thinking? Like, what were the angels thinking as they were witnessing this whole thing go down? And as they looked on at what Jesus was doing in the wilderness, like, what was going through their minds, these angels? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched, searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels desire to look into these things. They desire to look into these things. They long to look into these things. Another translation says that they long to look into these things. Why do they long to look into these things concerning our salvation? Well, because the angels don't know everything. The angels, they don't know everything. They are not God. They are created beings that the book of Hebrews describes as ministering spirits who are sent out to serve, to provide service. Hebrews also states that these angels, they may, they may be walking among us. He says, don't, don't neglect hospitality because some people have unknowingly entertained angels and hosted angels. So don't lack hospitality. But in regards to the angel's curiosity, the only experience that they've ever really had with rebellion against God was one that was met with swift justice. You know, Satan was once one of those angels. He was once one of those angels in heaven. He was, he was once the, the highest ranking angel in God's presence. Ezekiel described him as the, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. He was blameless. But eventually his beauty and his wisdom would make him proud. And then he would rebel against God. He was all of the things that, you know, we talked, that Ezekiel talks about until wickedness was found in him. His pride caused him to forfeit any beauty or any wisdom that God had given him. And Satan, he would immediately be thrown down to the earth, removed from God's presence along with a third of the angels that Satan had convinced to rebel with him. And now these fallen angels are awaiting the final judgment. This is the swift judgment, the swift judgment that the angels have seen in response to rebellion against God. And I imagine that when the obedient angels, when they saw this, when they saw this whole thing play out in heaven, when they saw the fallen angels judged and expelled from heaven, I'm sure they were thinking, like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that makes perfect sense. Like, God is the creator. He is glorious. He's holy. So, yeah, like, you deserve to be punished if you sin against him. If you rebel against this God, yeah, makes sense. But then those same obedient angels... They witnessed God creating humanity and the world that he prepared for us. They see Adam and Eve in the garden, living free, frolicking naked, as Pastor Steve says, and unashamed. And then they see their old pal, these obedient angels. They see their old pal, Lucifer. They see Satan, the devil, except now he's in the form of a, of a crawling serpent. And they see him approach Eve, 
and they see that he gets her to eat the fruit that God told her not to eat. And then Adam comes around and he does the exact same thing. They disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. And the angels, I'm sure, were like, yep, I've seen this story play out before. I, I remember this. I've seen this happen. The first time I saw this happen, all who disobeyed got kicked out of heaven. That's what happened. And now they're awaiting judgment. And then what do they see happen? Adam and Eve, they get kicked out of the garden. That's what happens. They get kicked out of the garden. And I'm sure the angels are like, yeah, there you go. Standard operating procedure. This is usually how it goes down. They, get, they got kicked out of God's presence, expelled from God's presence. That tracks with what we saw the first time we saw this rebellion against God. But instead of God pronouncing judgment on Adam and Eve, he says something interesting to the serpent. He gives the first presentation of the gospel there in Genesis and he tells Satan that Eve's descendant is going to strike Satan on his head, and that Satan is also going to strike Eve's eventual descendant on his heel, meaning, Satan, you are eventually going to hurt her descendants, but her descendants is going to annihilate you, completely crush you. It's going to destroy you. Now remember, the angels are not God. They are not omniscient. They don't fully get it. They don't know everything. They are created beings watching everything play out in real time. They're watching it all. They might as well be having a bowl of popcorn, just watching everything play out. So instead of an instant cursing from God, they witnessed this statement, this first preaching of the gospel from God, and they might have been like, what, is, what does this mean? Like, God, what are you doing? Like, this, this isn't what we're used to seeing. They must have been wondering. Now, I don't know how much insight they had, but whatever amount of insight they did have, it wasn't enough to satiate their curiosity. That's why Peter says the angels long to look into these things. So they're watching the story play out. They're, they're, they're watching Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. They see humanity multiply. They see the flood. They see the history of, of the people of Israel. They see the, the first Passover in Egypt. They see the different things happening in the desert, all the types and shadows of Jesus Christ in, in the wilderness, the sacrificial system. They, they see everything. They watch the prophets write things down in regards to Jesus, but they're still longing to look into these things. This whole thing is crazy and backwards, you guys. Angels are much more powerful than humans. They are created beings who were made to serve. They stand in God's presence. And they are able to continue living even after they see his face. And they worship him daily with zero hesitation. Yet they fall into one act of disobedience, and that's it. God cuts them off. That's it, with no chance of redemption. You mess up once, that's it, you're out. But then you have us humans, us weak and feeble humans, we have a different interaction with God than the angels. Our interaction with him is not based on being created for servitude, but we are created for a relationship. It's one that is based on choice, this relationship. And with that choice, we quickly choose to disobey him. Quickly, like that. And what does God do? He doesn't cut us off with no chance of redemption. Instead, he provides a way of redemption. 
He provides a way of redemption for us. The angels, they could have very well been like, man, if we would have disobeyed God, that would have been the end for us. And actually, it was the end for our angelic brethren who were up here before they got, you know, expelled from heaven. But these humans, they disobey God, and instead of getting expelled from his presence forever, they get the chance to experience grace? That's crazy. But the angels, they're not bitter. They're not bitter about it. It's a cause for them to celebrate even more because now they see a side of God that they never saw before. A side that maybe they never even thought was possible. They saw swift justice with the fallen angels, but now they see grace with fallen man. And the angels, they celebrate when people turn to God because they're seeing God's plan in action. They're seeing the grace of God that he planned to give them before the foundation of the world. And they are blown away by their creator. Their first witness to an act of disobedience was when they saw swift judgment, one-third of the angels expelled from heaven. But now they see a different side of God where he provides salvation. He provides forgiveness. And when a sinner repents, they're watching the gospel and they're watching God's grace play out in real time. And even as it's happening, even as they are celebrating God's grace and they're celebrating in his presence somebody coming to faith in Christ, they still are longing to look into these things. They are still desiring to look into these things because this gospel is just so deep. It is a very deep gospel. God doesn't treat us humans the same way he treats the angels. We have been made in his image. He gave us a piece of himself when he created us. He gave us the capacity to know and to love and to desire him, our father and creator. But we ruin that capacity for, for, for God when our representatives, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God in the garden. And as a result, sin and death spread to all mankind because we all sin, none of us are innocent. We all sin against God. And the due penalty for our sins is an eternal death in hell forever. The wages of sin is death is what the Bible says. That is what we have earned through our sin. But God, but God, because of his great love for us, he does not desire for us to, to perish in that way. So he provided a way for his justice to be satisfied and for us to be forgiven at the same time, at the same time. And that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how he does it. Because in the cross of Jesus, we see the holiness, the justice, and the righteousness of God. And we also see the grace and the love and the mercy of God. We see his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, because he doesn't just say, oh, you sinned, that's all right, no biggie, you can go free. No. Instead, he says, sin is evil. I hate it. It must be punished. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the sins of the world and I'm going to put them on the back of my son, Jesus Christ. And sins will be punished, but I'm going to punish them in my one and only son. That's how I'm going to punish them. And then we see the grace and the love and the mercy of God, because he also says, hey, look, I'm not just going to take the general sins of all the world and place them on my son's back. I'm going to take your sins, your sins. I will take those, put them on my son's back, and I'm going to punish my son 
for your sins instead of punishing you for your sins. And I'm going to take the righteousness that Jesus Christ achieved, his perfection, and I'm just going to offer it to you. I'm going to give it to you. You want it? It's a free gift. All you need to do is just believe. If you would just believe in Jesus, believe that this is the transaction that takes place on the cross. Jesus takes your sins. He gives you his righteousness. If you would just believe, God says, I will forgive you. I will save you from my wrath. I will save you from your sins. I will change you. And you will be with me in heaven forever. Forever. Just believe and follow me, is what God says. The first time God dealt with sin and disobedience, it resulted in swift justice and the eternal damnation of the angels who rebelled. But now, because of his grace, his mercy, and his love, we get the opportunity to reverse that trajectory. And instead of also succumbing to eternal damnation, we can repent of our sins, we can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be born again to a living hope, and know that we will inherit God and his kingdom forever when we die. And not only that, God is going to inherit us because, believe it or not, God wants us. He wants us. But he wants us to come in faith. Angels are much more beautiful than us. Angels are much more powerful than us, much more heavenly than us. Angels are much more holy than us. But God didn't set his seal and his image on the angels. He set it on us. He set it on us. So all of these things concerning salvation, the things that angels are longing to look into, they don't fully get it. They don't fully get it. And based on 1 Peter, they didn't even, they didn't even understand the process of getting to that salvation. So I think it's safe to say that as the, as the angels were in the wilderness serving Jesus, they may, have, they may have had questions in their mind. Like, my Lord, why didn't you call us sooner? We, we would have shown up right away, and we would have handled Satan on your behalf. Why, why didn't you call us sooner? You have all of heaven at your disposal. If you wanted to, you could cry out to your father, and he would send you 12 legions of angels. Lord, we are here for you. Of course, we can't be sure, you know, 100% sure what they were thinking. But one thing that is for sure is that we believers— and Jesus, we share a common enemy. We share a common enemy. That enemy that was in the wilderness to tempt Jesus, that's the same enemy that tempts us today. It's the same exact enemy. And it wasn't as though Satan left Jesus and then he never came back. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that Satan left to come back at an opportune time. He left until a more opportune time. Satan was going to come back for more. He was going to come back. And we have that same enemy who has that same schedule who uses the same tactics. Temptations are going to come, you guys. They are going to come. And they are going to come often. Brace yourself. And they are going to follow the same structure that we see in Matthew chapter 4. John MacArthur, he has a, he has a very insightful commentary on, these, on this section of Scripture and uh, the structure of, of Satan's temptation. So listen to this. Quote, Satan tempts us in the same basic ways he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. First, he will try to get us to distrust God's providential care and to try to solve our problems, win our struggles, and meet our needs by our own plans and in our own power. Second, 
He will try to get us to presume on God's care and forgiveness by willingly putting ourselves in the way of danger, whether physical, economic, moral, spiritual, or any other. And third, he will appeal to selfish ambitions and try to get us to use our own schemes to fulfill the promises God has made to us, which amounts to trying to fulfill God's plan in Satan's way. End quote. These are the basic ways that Satan tempts us. It's not an exhaustive list of, of specific temptations, but it's the basis of all temptations. And some have said that the root of all sin uh, is, at, at its foundation is pride and idolatry. Pride and idolatry. I mean, you look at Adam and Eve in the garden. They ate the fruit because they doubted God's word. They doubted God's command. God said, God said that they would die if they ate the fruit, but the fruit looked amazing. And the results seemed pretty good. They were proud. They were proud towards God. Like, God, really? Like, are you sure that what you said is, is right? They were proud towards God. Like, well, we can get the benefits of God without God. So let's go for it. And they were proud. And they were also idolatrous because they abandoned the one true God and they put themselves in his place. Like, we don't really want to follow God's command right now. I, I, we'd rather just follow our own commands right now. And I'm going to go ahead and eat that fruit. It looks delicious. Temptations, they cause us to doubt God. They cause us to test God, or they cause us to do things our own way. And sometimes we ask the Lord to provide solutions for our temptations and our problems, which to us seem to be so complicated, but it's not complicated. And the solution is very simple. Just like the stories of the rice not cooking and the, the mystery of my itchy skin, we, we tend to overcomplicate and we tend to also over-spiritualize these things in our lives. Sometimes we give in to the temptations of the devil when we do these things. When we overcomplicate it and when we over-spiritualize these things in our lives, sometimes we give in to the temptation of the devil. And so I want to ask you guys, how do these temptations manifest themselves in your own life? How do these temptations manifest themselves in your life? And I really want you to think about it. Don't just like, oh, yeah, he said it. He asked the question. No, no, like really think about it in your mind. How do these temptations, how do temptations manifest themselves in your lives? It could be something as simple as scrolling social media, clicking around online, or participating in some of these apps out there, some of these dating apps. You know, something appears on your screen that begins to set your lust on fire, or you get matched with somebody who looks extremely desirable, and then you follow that trail until it inevitably leads to sin. What happened? Well, you decided to do things your own way. You decided to do things your own way. Sex is something that God has gloriously provided for us, but he has provided it for us in a very specific context very specific context. And instead of you receiving that blessing the correct way by waiting and seeking and pursuing in a holy and righteous way, you decided you're going to circumvent that whole process and get it your own way. Temptation could manifest itself in your life in something as simple as wanting control over everything. 
You want, you want control over everything. You want to make sure certain things happen a specific way. Make sure certain people behave or look a certain way. Make sure you look and behave a certain way. Make sure all of your ducks are in a row. Because if they aren't, then that means the situation isn't going to go down the way that you want it to go down. The way that you are expecting it to go. And your way is the only acceptable way for this to happen. So if that happens, the whole thing is ruined. The whole thing is ruined and wasted. You are not trusting God and his providence, you control freaks out there. I didn't mean that to be funny, but all right. (laughs) You're not trusting God and his providence. Why does it have to go your way? What makes you think that your way and your perspective is the best way? I know of people who can't keep friends. I know of people who can't keep roommates. I know of people who can't keep family. Because they believe that everyone around them is a problem. Everyone around them has a problem. And everyone around them needs to get their act together because everyone around them is toxic. And for those of you in here who maybe kind of be like, well, yeah, I agree. Let me pose this to you. Maybe it's not everyone else that is the problem. Maybe you're the problem. Maybe it's not that everyone else is the problem and everyone around you is toxic. Maybe you're the one who is the problem. Maybe you are the toxic one. Don't be asking the Lord for, you know, God, fix everyone around me. Make them act right because everyone is acting a fool. Everyone needs to get fixed and get on my level. Maybe you need to get fixed. And you need to submit yourself to God's way of doing things rather than doing things your own way. Don't over-spiritualize and don't over-complicate these things. Don't be asking God for a miracle of healing your body to lower your cholesterol or to get rid of your diabetes or to cause you to lose weight when the answer to your health problems could be found in healthy choices. I know people who are diabetic. I have people in my lives who are diabetic, yet they still continue to do the things that got them to be diabetic. And these people aren't Christians, but, you know, there are people out there who are praying to God, like, God, cure my diabetes as I eat this burger from In-N-Out. Like, that doesn't work. That's not how it works. You're over-spiritualizing. You're over-complicating this thing. Don't be asking for God, don't be asking of God for a miracle of financial provision for him to provide money to you in in an unexpected and miraculous way. Like maybe a crow will come and drop a $100 bill. You know, like the, the crows fed Elijah, you know, the crows can feed me. When the answer to your financial hardship is simply getting a job and working hard. Get a job, work hard, while at the same time seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness because all of your needs will be provided to you if you do that. Some people just do one or the other. Like either they they just work, like they're just, they work hard. Some people are just focused on making money and hustling. I got got 10 side hustles. Well, what's your main hustle? Like it seems like everything you do is a side hustle. What's your main one? (laughs) But as they're doing all these things, they're neglecting the Lord. They're neglecting The first thing, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That extreme is wrong. 
And there are others who think that all they need to do is to, quote, do the Lord's work. And then other people ought to support them as they, quote, do the Lord's work. We have people who call the church frequently <laughs> looking, for, looking to get a check from us, you know, looking to get a financial handout just because they're, quote, servants of the Lord. Like there was one person who was coming to our church and, um, you know, not very long after they started coming to the church, like, like, not very, like three weeks into coming to the church, you know, they were expecting us, they're calling us, expecting us to cut them a check because, you know, they, they were, they're serving the Lord. Not here, like not, not at core. They're, they're doing something, who knows. But matter of fact, th- th- this person didn't even necessarily like what we were teaching here at core. <laughs> so they're like, they're expecting us to, to provide for them and support them financially while at the same time, thinking we're, we're not teaching proper things, like proper theology. It's like, come on, like you're not even on our team and you expect us to, to, to give you some money? Like, get out of here. But this is what some people will do. You know, they will use their calling from the Lord as an excuse to not actually work for a living, and then they solicit handouts from everybody. You guys ought to support me. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm an apostle. I'm an evangelist. I'm all these things. Support me. There's plenty of work out there. Trust me. There's plenty of work out there. When Paul would travel through all the churches, in Acts 18, it says that he linked up with, uh, I think it was Priscilla and Aquila. He linked up with them because they were of the same trade. They were tent makers. So Paul worked. He was an apostle. But Paul also worked. Paul put in work to support himself. And so we ought to do the same thing. You know, the miracle that, the miracle to your lack of finances, it might be a job application. Some of you, well, I just don't feel called to that job. Well, if you want to eat, I would say that you definitely are called to that job, whatever it is. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now we command and exhort such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and eat their own bread. There's no, oh, I don't feel called to this job if you're living an undisciplined life and you're just a a busybody. There's no such thing as not being called all this activity happening in your life. You're doing all these things. I'm over here. I'm over there. I'm over there. But you're not actually doing anything. You're not doing anything productive. You're just killing time. And you're not trusting in the Lord. A lot of people will think, oh, because I'm doing this, I'm actually trusting in the Lord. On the contrary, you're actually testing the Lord. You are testing the Lord. I want to live in an actual home. I live in an apartment right now. But I want to live like in a legit home. I want to have a place where my children, they have a big backyard where they can run around and it's in a safe neighborhood so we don't have to worry about transients coming in the back and, and doing something weird. I want it to be, I want a home that's big enough so that we can host my family and friends and, and just fellowship and all those things. I, I want that. That's what I want. But I'm not going to put the Lord my God to the test by putting myself in a financial situation that I cannot afford in the name of trusting in the Lord. That's not wise. 
Lord, I can't afford this house, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I get that loan because, Lord, I know that if I get that loan, I'm naming it. You are going to provide for my debt that I irresponsibly accumulated. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Now, these are just a couple of, exa- a couple of examples. But I ask again, how does temptation manifest itself in your life? What temptations are you dealing with? What temptations are you dealing with? Think about these things, guys. What temptations are you struggling with right now? What are you struggling with? What temptations are you past struggling with and you're just falling? You're just willingly going into it. What temptations are you falling into? You're not, you can't even say that you're struggling with it. You're just like, here it is. Okay, let's do it. What temptations are you giving into? Whatever it is or whatever they are, in the same way that Jesus had victory over temptation in the wilderness, you too have that same victory available to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. The way of escape is there. The way of escape is there. You just need to be looking for it, and you need to be ready for it. Like I say every week, you need to be doing the basics. You need to be studying your Bible. You need to be spending time in prayer with the Lord, and you need to be coming out and to the gatherings, gathering together with the body of believers and fellowshipping and getting built up in your faith. This is how you build yourself up, and this is how you fight and overcome temptation. You are to fight and battle against temptation, not give into it. James 4, 7, it'll be on the screen. It says, submit, therefore, to God. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, which is exactly what happened in the wilderness. That's exactly what happened. The devil was shooting temptation after temptation after temptation at Jesus. And Jesus was resisting the devil at every turn by using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And after a time of temptation and resistance, Jesus told Satan, be gone. And Satan left. And Satan left. When Jesus tells the devil to leave, he leaves. Because even the devil is subject to the commands and the authority of God. You can't come against that power. You can't come against that kind of power. And that power is living inside of every single one of us believers. And the only reason that the devil is granted any kind of ground or power in this world is that our God has allowed him to have that power. But it's always going to serve God's purposes. Always. Even in the midst of temptation, God is using it. He's using it as a test. It's always to serve God's purposes. Even if we don't understand it, even if it doesn't seem to make sense, God's always using it. So there is divine power backing us. And there will always be a way out. There will always be a way out when temptation comes our way. And this includes running. This includes running away when it comes to sexual temptations. As I stated last week, 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, flee from youthful lusts. 
Flee from youthful lusts. You don't look for the way of escape when sexual temptation is coming your way. Like, oh, it's, it's beginning to happen. Where's the way out? Run. That's the way out. Because the Bible says flee from youthful lusts. It doesn't say linger around and look for the way out. It says flee, run. And so as we close tonight, I want to pray. But as we pray, I'm just going to ask the band to just hang tight. Just hang tight. Because I want to pray. I want to pray for everybody. But I don't want there to be any distractions. Um, So let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you love us. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us the way to resist temptation. It's by the sword of your spirit. I thank you for who you are in our lives. I thank you that you gave your life, you gave your son to be the punishment for our sins on the cross. I thank you for everyone who's here once again, Lord. And I just pray that in this time of prayer, that we would all just really be bowing our hearts, Lord. That we would be examining ourselves and thinking about all of those questions that were being asked. How does temptation manifest itself in our lives? God, I pray that you would clear our minds to be able to really think about these things. And so I want to ask you guys, if you could just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask anybody in here, and if you guys can just, you know, just, just stay put. If there's anybody in here, I preached the gospel earlier. I don't know all of you. Some of you I just met for the first time. But if there's anybody in here who wants to receive that free gift of salvation, if you've never received it before, If you've come tonight and you're just like, yeah, I don't know anything about this Jesus. I don't know anything about God. I just came. I'm curious. And if you want to receive that forgiveness, if you want to receive that free gift of salvation that that God is offering in Jesus Christ, then I want to pray for you. And the only way that I can pray for you is if I know who you are. And so I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand. If, if, If you want to receive the free gift of salvation... Raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Now, I want it to be clear, raising your hand does not save you. Repeating a prayer does not save you. The only thing that can save you is faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. That's it. There's no, there's no spiritual checklist that you need to do, no boxes you need to check off. You said the prayer, you got baptized, you did your communion, you got confirmed. None of that, none of that nonsense. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that saves you from eternal damnation and hell forever. So if there's somebody in here who wants to receive that free gift of salvation, if you never received it before, or maybe you thought you received it before, but you really didn't, then raise your hand so that I can pray for you. And so I'm just going to provide some time. Anybody in here who wants to receive that free gift of salvation? All right. Well, now I want to pray for another group of people. If there's anybody in here, we're talking about temptation. If there's anybody in here who is struggling with temptation, 
Actually, forget struggling. If there's anybody in here who's giving in to temptation, I want to pray for you as well because nobody, nobody raised their hand to receive Christ. So I'm going to assume that the majority of us here are believers. And so every single one of us, we have the ability and the power to fight against temptation. So if you are in a place where you are giving in to temptation, something isn't right. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because you don't have to fall into temptation anymore. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now living inside of you. So what temptation could possibly come against you? Nothing. And so if there's anybody in here who is falling to sin, and I'm going to ask everybody for the sake of, you know, the people who who maybe are going to raise their hands, please keep your eyes closed. Please don't look around because if somebody raises their hand, they may not be ready to share it with you but they're ready to share it with the Lord and they're ready to get prayed for. So if there's anybody in here who is falling into temptation, whatever it is, raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Is there anybody? I see you guys. Yes. You guys, just keep your eye. Please do not look around because this is between them and the Lord. I see you guys. And praise God for, for, the, for, for the Spirit speaking to, to, to you guys. And I want to pray for you guys. And we're going to pray in a second, but before I pray for you guys, I also want to pray for those who are struggling with sin. Maybe you're at the brink. You're just like, Ugh, I'm battling, I'm battling, but I feel like I'm about to lose the battle. Whatever kind of sin, sexual sin, financial sin, Uh, relational sin, whatever kind of sin, whatever kind of temptation that you're dealing with and you feel like you're fighting and you're fighting, you feel like maybe your strength is draining and you need the power to continue fighting until the time that Satan is just going to finally flee and come back for another time, then I want to pray for you as well. So if there's anybody in here who is struggling with temptation, The the devil is at your door, and he is trying to get you to fall, and you are holding strong so far, but you know that, man, I feel like my energy is depleting, and you need prayer. I want to pray for you as well. So is there anybody in here who's also in that place? Please raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And so I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I'm going to be honest with y'all. Everybody in this room raised their hand for something. Nearly everybody. And so what I'm going to ask you guys to do is I'm going to ask you guys to get up. And I'm going to ask you guys to come up here to the front. And trust me, nearly everybody's hand went up during this time. So I'm going to ask you guys right now to stand up and come down here so we can, so we can all pray together, so we could be a family. You guys, get up. Let's go. Let's go. We're all dealing with stuff, all of us. This is serious, you guys. The, 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 the devil wants to destroy us. And you know what's going to happen when you fall into temptation? You forget the grace of God. You forget that God is so gracious. You guys, can you just come on in a little closer so we can get everybody out here? And I, just because I'm standing up here doesn't mean I'm above you. I deal with stuff too. 
Satan tempts me too. It manifests itself in different ways for everybody. But the main thing is, is that the devil wants to destroy us. And we don't, we don't want that to happen, you guys. When you fall into sin, when you, when you give in to the temptation, it messes with you. It really messes with you. you be, like I said, you begin to doubt the grace of God. You begin to doubt that God loves you. When God's love for you has zero to do with you. He saved you, not because you're great. He saved you because he loves you in spite of you. And so we're going to pray. I want to pray for every single one of you. All right, let's pray. Father, I just want to lift up everybody here, Lord. So many hands went up. So many hands went up of people who are falling into temptation. People who are giving in to temptation. And Lord, I want to pray for every single one of those people that you would fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. That you would give them, help them to understand the power that they have inside of them to resist the devil in temptation. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand that if they are not spending time with you, then what hope can they have that you are going to dwell richly inside of them? This is a relationship. So God, I pray for everybody in here who said that they're falling to temptation. And if their relationship with you is not solid, if they are not reading their word daily, if they are not praying and calling out to you daily, if they are not consistently fellowshipping with the body, then Lord, I pray first and foremost that you would get that corrected, that you would bring that to their attention, that that would be the first thing on their mind before they even start to ask you for a miracle of a way out from this temptation. God, help them to do the basics before they are requiring of you a miracle of giving them a way out. Help them to understand, Lord, that you really do love them so much. And Lord, I want to pray for all of those who said that they are struggling with temptation. Father, I pray that you would continue to empower them to continue resisting the devil, to continue fighting to continue reading your word, spending time with you. It's not just about reading a textbook. It's about having a relationship with their Savior. And so, Lord, please empower these people who are struggling against temptation, who are fighting against temptation, to really seek you out in your word, to spend time with you, to deny other things, to deny themselves, Whatever activities they do throughout their week, God, give them the discipline to cut some of these things out so that they can spend more time with you. And God, I pray that this would be the day, Lord. God, like, we don't need these things, Lord. We don't need these events. We don't, we, we, we don't need to have that moment of coming forward in order to be empowered by your spirit. But Lord, you, you allow us to have these things and you allow us to have these things for the purpose of being able to look back and being able to say that tonight was the night that I said, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. 
I'm not, I'm, I am not looking at porn anymore. I am not going to get drunk anymore. I'm not going to do drugs anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. I am not going to be angry and murder people in my heart anymore. God, I pray that you would use tonight as, as, as a memorial that everybody here who was humble before you and honest before you, that they would be able to look back on this night and say, this was the night that it, that it all changed. My walk with you, my walk with Christ took a turn for the best after this night. Use this night, Lord. Use this night to change your people and to cause us to fall in deeper love with you, Lord. There are so many needs here, Lord. There are so many needs represented here. There are so many temptations represented here, so many struggles represented here. Lord, it's not confusing for you. It's not stressful for you. It's not too much to handle for you. You got it. You got it, Lord. So give us the discipline and the strength and the boldness to just walk. So I thank you for these people. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And as we begin to get into this closing time of worship once again, Lord, I pray that the, the voices, the songs that we sing, the words that we sing, the instruments that are played, Lord, I pray that every single bit of this closing worship service would be glorifying to you, Lord, that you would dwell richly in this place, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Continue the work that you've begun tonight, Lord, and I just thank you so much for who you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.